Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in our last program, we stopped right in the middle of an interview you were doing with Charles Martin, the author of the book, Flood Legends, Global Clues of a Common Event. Yes, Scott. We previously did four programs on flood legends from around the world, and I used Charles Martin's book as an excellent resource for information about cultures that included some form of a global flood in their history. So in this second part of the interview, I asked Charles Martin how many flood stories he found through his research. So Charles, approximately, I think you mentioned a number, uh, but approximately how many different cultures or people groups have you found with a flood legend or myth? Yeah, that's a that's that's fantastic because I don't I don't remember it. Some I I read somewhere between fifty and hundred different stories. I don't include them all, but mm-hmm. uh, no, I yeah, read no. a you bunch. Uh, no, well, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug actually a colleague of mine. His name is Nick, and he wrote a book called Echoes of Ararat. And that that man spent years, and I'm only plugging it because I'm impressed with what he's done. He spent years collecting more than 300 different flood legends just from the Americas. Yes, just from the Americas, just North and South America. (laughs) Okay. Um, And those are the ones, those are not, those aren't all of them. He rejected a bunch. He rejected Mm -hmm. a lot that he he believed were appropriated from Europeans as they came over, right? Uh, Because that's one of the big challenges is is saying, okay, what was original and native and what was brought over? So, yeah, I really, honestly, I'm, I'm going to plug him and say Echoes of Ararat, if, if you guys want to listen to that. Okay. Read that. What, what's the fantastic. author's name? Nick who? Nick Ligori. Nick um, Ligori. Well, what? one of the things that um, we came across when we did the programs was every continent was represented in mm-hmm. the book that you wrote, except Africa. And we understood, even from the legend on the back of the book, I think, um, it said you take information and a revealing journey— across the globe, exploring legends from, and the first one there is Africa, and then Australia, Babylon, British Columbia, Burma, China, Europe, Greece, India, Indonesia, New Guinea, North America, South America, and more. But we didn't um, find one from Africa. So uh, it, it doesn't seem logical that there wouldn't be some from Africa. So um, do you know of any African people groups that have a, have a flood legend? The the few and there weren't many. Uh, hmm. The few I came across um, were, in my opinion, were um, were just African cultures who had who had taken the Bible story and changed it. Oh, huh, okay. To make it more fit, um, there was a very frustrating, very frustrating me to no end. One Greek, one of the Greek historians, the ancient historians, uh, you know, one of the Pliny's, I think it was. Uh, was actually writing about his trip to Egypt. Um, and the, he, as he wrote it, the Egyptian priest said, you Greeks are so single-minded, you think there was only one flood, but in Egypt we have many stories. And I couldn't find a single story, <laughs> not one. Huh. So there's just this cryptic reference to numerous Egyptian versions of the flood, and I could not find a single one of huh. them. Interesting. Um, yeah, very frustrating. That's I wish I wish I could have included one of those. But, okay, um, no, I, that's but uh, I again I think that speaks to your uh, veracity. You're not trying to just make stuff up, which very often when the person's trying to make a point, you know, they stretch the truth a little bit, and that does not help the cause when we're trying to demonstrate from a very objective perspective that these stories exist, and they all have. Uh, various commonalities that, as you point out, point to a uh, 
a common event. That is the, the flood, the global flood, and uh, the best account, the truthful account, the most logical, reasonable account is indeed the one, the Hebrew one, that we find written in, in the book of Genesis. Yeah, it's, it's the only one that gives um, reasonable dimensions to the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, either either in, in all of the stories, it's a raft or a canoe, or it's, it's, a, it's a boat with dimensions, but it's very tiny. <laughs> um, you know, it holds two people, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was very careful to include seeds in food and seed seeds for planting right. animals. We don't know how many animals there were, but we know that there were seven of some and, and two of others. And uh, it was very, very complete. And it was something that all of the other stories were missing. The approach that you take in, in the book, chapters five through 10, what you do is take some of the uh, specifics from the biblical account and then show different legends that have some of those particular traits, and but obviously they don't have them all. So chapter five is traits of the hero, and you show how different stories have similar traits to the biblical Noah. And then the mm-hmm. next chapter, you have similarities in the crew or the passengers. In the next chapter, you have similarities in what they took, like you just mentioned, seeds or animals. Mm-hmm. And then a whole chapter on the resting place of the vessel and how many uh, times, you know, they land on a mountain, which, uh, mm-hmm. again, really is a clue to that idea that it was a global flood. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what happened to the animals after the flood? And then finally, the uh, difference between the idea of a global versus a local flood. And so mm-hmm. uh, you you trace all those similarities and differences through the different flood legends. And again, you just make an excellent, excellent case, Charles, for uh, the idea that this was indeed a, a common event and all these different stories, yeah, they've been distorted in various ways, some of them wildly and and really comically, but you know, there are all these clues to this common event mm-hmm. that these different cultures have uh, recorded and passed on. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, I think um, even if you were to set out and go to, to disprove it, if you were to put in uh, just half of, of what I, the work I did, you, you would you wouldn't be able to walk away going, ah, I think this was made up. You'd have to you'd really be challenged. Mm. Um, it, it's just the the the, uh, the amount of, of literary evidence alone is just overwhelming. Yeah, indeed. Well, th- this might uh, be be impossible for you to do, but I wanted to ask you what one or two flood stories, and we're not, and you can't use the Bible. That's not fair. <laughs> what one or two of the flood stories are your favorites? Yeah, you want to talk about them a little bit, or are you uh, unable to really narrow it down to a, a couple of, of favorites? I, I do, and and you'll have to forgive me. I can't remember which version it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a there's one where a frog has swallowed all of the water on Earth, right? And and they're they're trying to make the frog laugh, and nobody can make him laugh until the the eel starts dancing on his tail, and it's so ridiculous that the the frog laughs and all of the water pours out, but instead of going where it's supposed to, it floods the Earth. Yeah, well, I do remember that one because we actually read some uh, about that one because it was so comical. We loved it too. It was the flood according to the Aborigines in Victoria, uh, one of the provinces of Australia. So, yeah, the the dancing eel and the uh, frog belching out the, 
algae out the water was just great. And uh, yeah. so I, I agree. That's one of my favorites. Uh, I would have thought that you would have taken the Sanskrit as one of your favorites because of the similarities and uh, all that work that you did on it. That one is definitely, um, I, w- I would put it above the, I would have put it above the dancing eel, but um, <laughs> only in terms of, only in terms of, um, I guess from a, an intellectual standpoint, but from just a purely uh, entertaining story, that <laughs> you can't beat a dancing eel. All right. One other question then for you, Charles, in your experience, what is it about the flood account that you've most commonly come across to cause even believers to question the reality of the global flood. I'm sure you've talked to many people about this. So what, what is it that is the big obstacle for even believers to trust the, the biblical account of a global flood? That, that's a fantastic question, because in, in all honesty, I think the answer is a good one. Um, I think, I think the, the, it's the only criticism of the flood story that I listen to and go, okay, I'll, 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 I'll grant you that that's frustrating because it's frustrating to me, and I, I love the word, and it's 100% correct. It is 100% complete. If God leaves something out, there's a reason for it, even mm-hmm. if I don't know what that reason is. But there are times when I read the flood story, and I go, man, I wish I knew what God meant by kind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when God tells Noah, he says, you know, you want to take two of every unclean animal and, and seven of every clean animal on right. there. What exactly does kind, what kind of animal are we talking when he says, you know, seven kinds of every clean animal. Are we talking, you know, how many dogs is that? Is that seven of, of <laughs> five or six breeds of dogs, or is that just seven dogs in general? Uh-huh. And all of our breeds have come from them. Um, I, I do I, I do find that frustrating, but at the same time, you know, I just kind of have to go, okay, well, God, God didn't put that in. There's a reason for that, and I'll go ahead and, and trust him. Hmm. Um, I also know that the ark was absolutely enormous. So yeah, I, I have you had a chance to visit the Ark Encounter in Kentucky? I have not. Oh, Charles, you've got to do that. I it's on the it's on the list. Oh, good to do. Yeah, good. Um, I mean, my first impression, uh, and I think it is for many many people when you first see it, because you hear about it and you see pictures, but it's that as so many things, it's that actual uh, firsthand experience when you first mm-hmm. see it. My reaction was. Why was it that big? It is enormous. And the, the idea that, oh, you know, there's no way uh, Noah could have fit all the kinds on that ark mm-hmm. as, a, as a reason for denying the reliability of the account, that immediately disappears when you see the actual size of that thing and recognize how much storage capacity there was in it for food, mm-hmm. for animals. Uh, but... It is frustrating, like you say, to uh, not know exactly what the kinds were. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I don't know if you know about uh, the kind of biology research that's going on, genetic research, actually, where creationists are trying to determine, using the study called baraminology, what mm-hmm. those kinds genetically may have been. Baraminology meaning the created kinds. Bara created mean being the the word for Hebrew word for kind. So, uh, you know, creationists are working on that, trying to figure out what the kinds actually were and then what species would have uh, radiated from those kinds that were were on the ark. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I I think uh, uh, our time is up. 
Charles, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing with us oh, some no. of your experiences and some of uh, your thoughts on your book and on this whole issue of what the legends that we find around the cultures of the world and around uh, within the different people groups of the world indicate to us on the veracity of the biblical account. So uh, Charles uh, Martin, author of Flood Legends, Global Clues of a Common Event. Uh, I really appreciate your taking the time and being on the program today and I wish you all the best, brother. Well, well thank you, Ben. Thanks for, thanks for having me. This was a blast. All right, great. Our pleasure. Well, Dr. Scripture, that was a fascinating topic and a fascinating guest. <laughs> Indeed. I found Charles very insightful and engaging, and his objectivity was evident in the way he handles his material. He would make an excellent scientist. Yep. But given his expertise is in comparative literature, I find his approach and conclusions in some ways even more encouraging than what many creation scientists publish. Really? Why is that? Well, because using a completely different discipline of study, he verifies the same thesis as creation scientists. An objective assessment of the best evidence points to the truth of the biblical account of history, whether creation, the flood, or the events experienced by the nation of Israel. Archaeological, literary, or scientific inquiry, they all confirm Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.